As we continue on with 1 Samuel chapter 3, remember what we had just read in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Hannah, after coming to present, to dedicate her son Samuel to the Lord, bursts out in a song of praise. A song of praise that gives God glory for what he has done for delivering the lowly, for coming to the aid of the needy, and pointing ahead really to the king, the Lord's anointed. We saw that word Messiah show up. And then the sharp contrast from Hannah's praise, then the Lord pronounces judgment. Judgment on the house of Eli for the wickedness of Eli's sons as they were defiling the priesthood. The poor parenting and lack of addressing sin on the part of Eli. And the Lord pronounced that he would cut off this family from serving as priests. And in that, too, he also made a promise that he would establish a new line of priests, of the high priest. That's where we left with 1 Samuel chapter 2, Intermixed in all that was these phrases about Samuel growing up in the favor of the Lord. And now we get to look more closely at Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Initial statement, bringing our attention to Samuel. Okay, we're going to be focused on him. He ministered before the Lord under Eli. We'll get to see a little bit more as we continue reading what that ministry looks like for Samuel. He's mentioned here as a boy. Uh, The Jewish historian Josephus says that he's about 12 years old. Most Jewish Traditions hold to that, but he may have been a little older too. But he's not a grown adult. He is maybe a young adult, or even say younger. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. Now remember, we're in the time of the judges. The time of the judges when Israel had no king and they did whatever they saw was fit in their own eyes. They had no king, they were not serving the Lord. What does this mean that the word of the Lord was rare? That God was not often sending people to proclaim messages from him. Not that the word was absent. No, they would have had the books of Moses, but it probably weren't being used very much. Maybe they were just sitting in the tabernacle. Rare in that God was not sending many prophets. When you look through the book of Judges, this time period we're in, you only find a few times that a prophet is mentioned. And most of the time they're unnamed. We saw one mentioned earlier, just this past chapter, that a prophet unnamed came to Eli to pronounce. But this was not the norm. God was not coming to people often in dreams or visions. 
He was not sending specific mouthpieces. It was something that the people in some ways had grown used to not expecting God's word. Why would God not send prophets often? Why would he withhold this means of communication to them? Is God holding back by not doing it? After all, think today, he doesn't send prophets in the same way like he did in the Old Testament either. Sometimes silence can be just as strong of a message as saying something. And so, as Israel strayed, as they did, God didn't speak up all the time, most of the time. Sometimes the silence and letting people go astray for a while in order to then bring them back in a more impactful way. After a period of silence, then all of a sudden when something is said, you take note of it. If people are talking all the time, all the time, he tend to just tune that out. God's going to speak here as he is going to be calling Samuel to be a prophet and it draws quite a bit of attention to it because of it, because of the silence that happened before. And so maybe to take the note, then here, there were not many visions. Word of the Lord is rare as far as this direct revelation and we think about how God communicates to us. He communicates to us through means means of grace, gospel in word and sacrament. God has not promised he's going to give us visions or dreams, but he has promised he's going to speak to us in his word. In the Old Testament, he sometimes communicated through these dreams and visions. There were means. Without these means of grace, immediately, apart from them. But not often here. And so what does that mean then for Eli and for Samuel, the kind of key people we're going to see? They weren't necessarily having these dreams or visions. They weren't used to them happening. Perhaps it even gives indicator too that they're so rare. Eli may have never had one. I think that probably would say the likelihood. And Samuel? Well, he's only a boy, a young man, we're going to see specifically God saying that he had not spoken directly to him before this. Verse 2, One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Okay, let's kind of set the stage here of what kind of living arrangements we've got going on and who's sleeping where. Eli and Samuel mentioned they're lying down in the house of the Lord. So this is the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a tent-like structure that God gave instructions in the wilderness for the Israelites to put together and it is his house where he dwells. So maybe that's the first thing to take note. Where are they? They are in the place where God has made his presence known. Where God is specifically designated as his presence. Now, 
It says where the ark of God was. That's emphasizing all the more because this was this special object of which God attached his presence to for his people. Now, Samuel was not lying next to the ark of the covenant, the ark of God. That would have been in the most holy place. Samuel was also not lying in the holy place around that either. No, because that was only for the high priests and the priests to be entering into. This light that's mentioned not going out, that's probably the candlestick in the tabernacle that was to be lit at all times. Um, being mentioned that it had not gone out maybe means one of two things. One, that, well, maybe it had been going out at times during this period of Israelite history, which would be further evidence that Israelites were not following the ways of the Lord. That's a possibility. Or it's also possible that this is just a reference saying that it had not gone out yet, that the oil from overnight was not towards the end to when they would fill in the morning. Either way, you see, okay, being emphasized, this is at night. It's overnight. Likely Samuel and Eli, as they are lying down here, they will be living around in kind of the courtyard. This is where the priests would be dwelling. They had their, kind of their structures set up there around the courtyard. But it's closely connected to the house of God. Here we see an indication that's going to lead into what does Samuel do here as he's ministering under Eli. Eli's eyes are weak. He can barely see. In his old age, Eli is going blind. And so Samuel would serve as an assistant to him to aid him. And perhaps now he's set up here, okay, he could barely see when it was light out. Now it's overnight and dark out. You can expect Eli, really, in the middle of the night, can't do much moving around. And so Samuel would serve all the more if Eli needed something overnight. Questions or comments here? Please. question here is this do we see hypocrisy or that in some ways okay they're not following the lord that you know this period of silence of god even speaking that they aren't following but yet at the same time we still see okay they're in the tabernacle they're ministering there you see this inconsistency yeah absolutely and it's an inconsistency you do see first off maybe to take moment and give thanks to God for the inconsistency. That it wasn't just all off the deep end. That it wasn't just they had completely fell off. Praise God for the little flickers of flames of faith here. And we're going to see more of that with, both, with Eli too. That even as we talk about the wickedness of his sons and his failure to address and we see faith still here. Still a devotion to the Lord. Praise God that even in sin, he does not squash out faith completely by it. Sin is certainly dangerous. It'll destroy it. We always seek to turn from it. God delivers us from our sin. But how God still graciously preserves us that does not immediately destroy us. And it's an inconsistency, I think, that we see just in our own lives. How often, okay, yeah, we know what God says, 
We preserve him. We believe in him. We trust him. We are his people. True things. But yet we still find ourselves going astray, being inconsistent, having those moments of being hypocritical in our own lives. And as we see them maybe here in Eli and the people of Israel in general, I think it's good to just recognize that in our own lives. So this is not a moment to, oh, cast judgment, look at them, but realize to, oh, yeah, I don't always follow everything God says either. I have my moments where I go astray, but thanks be to God that he gives the victory, that he continues his faithfulness to us, even the moments we're unfaithful, and that he continues to strengthen us that even as we stray and wander, he brings us back, that we don't, aren't cut off immediately. Other questions or comments? Did that answer your question? Okay, just wanted to double check on that. Continuing on, verse 4. Then the Lord called Samuel. Maybe just marvel at those simple words. The Lord called Samuel. At a time when the word of the Lord was rare, this directly speaking to people, the Lord called Samuel. He spoke to him. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. This first interaction here, it's the middle of the night, and Samuel hears something. Now, we know it's the Lord calling Samuel. And who does he immediately think it would be? The natural conclusion. Samuel had not heard the Lord call him before. The Lord had not called Samuel. Why would he ever in his mind conceive that this was the Lord calling him? The natural person, you hear a voice calling your name. Well, you're there to help Eli. You've been doing this for how many years now? Eli's eyesight's bad. Yeah, something, he wakes up in the night, he needs something. Of course he'd call for help. And then Eli says, I didn't call. Go back and lie down. And so Samuel's probably wondering, was it a, what, did I just wake up and was I dreaming something? Am I hearing things? Have you ever had those moments where you hear something, you thought you heard something, and all of a sudden, now, no, it really wasn't anything? <laughs> Verse 6, again the Lord called Samuel. Here we have the name being mentioned. So as far as the first one, the Lord saying he called, now it's how he called here, by name. I think that's something just to appreciate there. The Lord addresses him directly by name, obviously knows him by name as he knows us all by name. It's very personal call. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Okay, so it happens again. And now Samuel's thinking, Okay, I'm not hearing things. I heard this again. I, I know what I heard. And goes to Eli 
thinking that, okay, maybe Eli was drowsy or whatever, or maybe Eli called out the first time, but now, not, okay, this time, it's really, you're calling. Let's think about Eli's perspective now here. Here Samuel comes the first time, and, okay, well, maybe Samuel, whatever, he was dreaming. He was hearing something. I thought it was me. He comes back a second time? Again? Now, we don't know exactly how long of interval of time is between this. It's the same night. He comes back a second time. And Eli's response is, I didn't call. Just go back to bed. What doesn't cross Eli's mind? He brushes this off as if simply it didn't happen. Yeah, that it wasn't the Lord, that it was the Lord. That doesn't cross his mind at this point. And you can understand maybe the first time, but on the second time, it's still just the brush off of, huh, I don't know what's going on with you, Samuel. Just go back to bed. And perhaps that's also then indicating here, Eli hadn't ever heard the Lord before. The direct word of the Lord hadn't come to Eli. Perhaps this is even showing a bit with Eli's heart that it wouldn't even occur to him that this could be a call from God. Not until it continues, though. Verse 7, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So here God makes it very plain. God had not spoken directly to Samuel until this night. The word of the Lord had not been revealed to him, did not know the Lord. That's not saying Samuel didn't know his God. Of course he did. His mother taught him that from little on. He's ministering in the tabernacle. Samuel knows the Lord in faith, but does not know the Lord through direct contact. The word of the Lord has been revealed to Samuel being taught to him from other believers, but not directly spoken to him from God himself. Verse 8, A third time the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Third time's a charm. All of a sudden it clicked for Eli. Okay, he comes a third time saying it. I don't think he's now just making this up. He is actually hearing something. Oh, it's probably the Lord speaking to him. It's probably the Lord. And remember, Eli would have seen as Samuel's been growing up in the Lord and training. And so as he's surrounded and seeing really the Holy Spirit working in his heart all these years, not to say that there's been any specific evidence We have nothing recorded in Scripture to suggest that there'd be reason for Eli to know for sure, but you all of a sudden piece two and two together and you'll see, okay, yes, the Lord is blessing this child. Bless this child even through the birth, initial the birth from Hannah's prayer. And all of a sudden now, in the middle of the night, he's hearing someone call him. 
and there are no people around. This is the Lord. And so here we see evidence of Eli's faith in this. That as much as he was not necessarily serving as the kind of priest he should have been by not keeping things proper in the priesthood, he is still a believer. He still has faith that is committed, devoted to the Lord. It's that inconsistency there. And you recognize there that inconsistency doesn't necessarily mean that he has a weak faith either. A strong faith here that, yeah, trusts, okay, this is the Lord speaking. Look at Eli's words. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. These are well-known words. Well-known words that we rightfully connect to Samuel. But who spoke them? Well, Samuel will. We'll read that in a bit. But who spoke them first? Eli. This is the guidance, the spiritual instruction that Eli is giving to Samuel. Speak, Lord. That's how, when he calls you, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. The humility here and to simply say, I have open ears. Whatever you are going to tell me, Lord, I am ready to hear. It's spiritual instruction and guidance that really is applicable for us all. That as the Lord calls to us, now it's, he does not promise he's going to speak to us directly. But he has promised he speaks to us in his word. And that really should be the response that we have as we open up his word to say to him, to pray to him, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. To recognize that, say, I am your servant. I am here to serve you. And I do that first by listening to what you have to say. Before I can serve you in speaking, you need to speak, and I need to listen. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Questions or comments here? Maybe this brings up an interesting thought regarding Eli and Samuel's relationship. Obviously, Eli was like a spiritual father to Samuel. As, he, as Samuel ministered under Eli. But Samuel was not ignorant of everything that was happening in Eli's home either. And so we see here, even with those things, and maybe once again bringing that inconsistency that we have as we're still sinners and saints, both at the same time, that sometimes... What we see Christians doing and their deeds, you say, yeah, that's not God-pleasing. But that doesn't mean that everything that's going to come out of their mouth is bad either, though. That you don't write off someone, one of God's people, just because they sin in one way or something else, that they have nothing in any way to serve. Here, Eli has received the judgment prophecy from the Lord that 
It's going to be all taken from you. But yet, look what he still says. God's still using him to essentially lead his servant Samuel. I think that's an encouragement for us that God uses all his people that it's never, okay, here are people that, you know, they're going to lift them up and they're going to be it's good things that are going to come from them and, you know, other people struggle more. No, it's really kind of all goes hand in hand. There's, every Christian has struggles, but God can use every Christian to serve too. Don't write off Christians just because of what their past may have. doesn't mean they don't have any way that they're going to participate and, per- and really help you and guide you. I think it's, we see a good encouragement not to judge based on someone's deeds for any sort of future support. God can still use words, even when their own words don't match their lives. Maybe that's really where you get the head of it. When their words are guided by God's word, which is what this is, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, even when their lives, they haven't shown it themselves, even when we, because we all continue to struggle with it, the words are still valuable. The words, because they're coming from God, are still worth our time, worth our pondering. Questions or comments? Samuel gets this instruction from Eli. In verse 10, the Lord came and stood there, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. We see his name repeated twice here. Here's maybe an important thing just for us to really appreciate God's patience and persistence. Think about the Lord now calling here. Obviously, the Lord knowing how this is all going to happen, but still how he takes action. This is call number four recorded. Call number four. It was not, oh, well, Samuel didn't answer the first time. Well, you missed it. Too bad. Sorry. It was not second or third time. All right. Samuel, come on. And you didn't answer. And so he stops. He doesn't stop until he reaches. He continues to call. The Lord continues to speak to his people, continues to call out, because when the Lord wants to use his people to serve, he doesn't just extend the invitation, ask once or twice. No, he continues. He's persistent in it to use his people to serve. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. He took Eli's guidance, good guidance, and followed in it. Verse 11, And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything, I've spoke, everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God, and he failed to restrain them. 
Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. There's no way Samuel would have known what to expect when the Lord was calling him because he in no way was expecting the Lord to call him. And so as he goes and says, speak for your servant, there's no way Samuel would have known what is God going to say to me. But I can be pretty sure that he wasn't expecting this. And maybe this is what often gets forgotten about in this well-known account. The Lord calls Samuel, 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 and Samuel says, speak for your servants listening. Well, what did the Lord say to Samuel? He says, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hear it tingle. God uses this description other times. uses it to describe when he's proclaiming the fall of Judah into captivity. It's a big event. It is disastrous destruction, judgment from God that's being proclaimed, described here. He tells Samuel, first time directly speaking to him, I'm going to carry out judgment. Judgment that will make everyone tingle in hearing, get goosebumps. Judgment specifically against Eli. against his house. And he goes on then to give the basic information. How much would Samuel have known about this before? We don't know. We don't know if Eli would have shared with Samuel what the prophet had come to him about. He could have. He may not have. Samuel was aware of what Eli's sons were doing. I mean, that wasn't hidden. That wasn't secret. But now God says specifically, okay, what that means I told him I would judge his family forever because his sons blasphemed. He failed to restrain. God makes it very clear why the judgment is coming for the sins that's being done. He swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. What does this mean when God says this? Well, first, what does it not mean? It does not mean that there is no forgiveness for these sins. No, God proclaims forgiveness for all sins. Christ died for all sins. What it means here is they cannot just go and now do a sacrifice and that God is going to be appeased with this for this sin. They cannot go perform a ritual. They cannot go bring a sin offering in their worship at the tabernacle. God has said, this is going to happen. No animal sacrifice or offering that they bring will I remove this guilt and not bring the punishment I have proclaimed? It's going to happen. You can be sure of it. The chapter began that God hadn't appeared often in visions. Now, this is not described as a dream or a vision, but maybe Samuel would have described it as a nightmare. First off, in terror, the fact that, okay, now God is speaking. Imagine that he might even be shaking here. But then what he hears, the judgment. Samuel lay down, verse 15, until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, here I am. 
Quick note on the doors of the house of the Lord. We mentioned this tabernacle is a tent-like structure. So how are the doors? <laughs> it seems like, okay, that's a contradiction. Well, in the wilderness, it was the tent because they were traveling. They were packing up and going. And so it's still this tent-like structure. But once they settled in Canaan, and we're going to be here in Shiloh specifically, the priests, the Levites, now they're kind of settling up more. It's not no longer are you moving around, but for their own little residences, they kind of had more permanent structures. You'd have the doors. And so around the tabernacle really kind of created more a fixed kind of a wall with doors. And so opening the doors of the house of the Lord with these new kind of structures around created that now that would be one of the duties of Samuel. We see how he's ministering that, you know, he'd open these doors as people would come in to different areas of the tabernacle for bringing offerings. And so we see as far as Samuel's role, he's doing, he's doing obviously needed work in the tabernacle. He's doing needed work, but it's, I'd say, pretty simple tasks, assisting Eli, opening doors, getting preparations ready. He's not serving as a priest at this point. Now to the, the morning itself. He lay down until morning. Do you think he slept? Do you think Samuel slept? Doesn't say he did. <laughs> Once again, we don't know exactly what time in the night this happened. Do you think he slept? Maybe not. I mean, this is one of those experiences. And it's such the mix of emotions for Samuel, because how, how exciting, how much adrenaline the Lord spoke to you. I mean, we really can't even fathom that. The Lord came to him and spoke to him. It's, you get that energy pump and you just can't even sleep. You can't rest. Your mind's racing. But then the other mix, and what did he say? And you know what's going to happen in the morning. You know who's going to come because you know the only other person who knows about this incident is Eli. And you know he's going to ask, what happened? What did the Lord say? We have scripture making it very clear. He's afraid to tell this vision Afraid to tell Eli. And you can understand why. Because what's the message? Think about the snare. God, Eli comes to Samuel, obviously excited. Like, this doesn't happen often. This is you really once in a lifetime, even more rare than that. What did the Lord say to you, Samuel? Tell me. And now Samuel's going to have to tell him. As Eli calls, Samuel, my son, Samuel doesn't hide, continues to serve as he is supposed to. Eli calls, I come. Here I am. 
Verse 17, what was it he said to you, Eli asked? Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. Well, it wasn't just Eli asking, tell me what he said. I want to know. No, he even puts an oath to it, calling upon God's name, saying, may God punish you if you keep anything from me of what he said. Samuel must be shaken here, you think. What's he going to do? Verse 18, So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. Let's first look at Samuel here. Samuel, who said, guided by Eli, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And he listened. He listened. Now it's his turn to speak. And he does not hide. He tells him everything. In some ways, you see, Samuel has lived up to the task of what God has called him now to do. As God is calling him here now to be his prophet, well, what does a good, faithful prophet do? Simply proclaims what God tells him. First by listening, and then by proclaiming it all. Not keeping anything, not sugarcoating any of it, but simply saying, this is the word of the Lord. Can you think about scenarios when you need to tell someone something and it's not good news? Maybe it's, in some ways, not just not good news you need to share, but it's specifically about that person that there's this problem. I think about, you know, and maybe just lifting up commendation for, you know, when doctors have to give diagnosis of illnesses, and, yeah, sometimes it's, okay, you know, we've got this situation here and this is how we can, other times it's not. Other times it's, yeah, there's nothing we can do. That's not something easy to say. Samuel here is now tasked by the Lord to go and tell Eli, there's a situation here and there's nothing we can do. Because God has decided this. Now, for Eli, maybe one last thing, and he simply does it. Maybe let's not overlook that. He does that. That's the courage. That's, the bold. that's how the Lord has filled Samuel to do this. And really, this is now going to continue out throughout his whole life. As he simply, as a prophet, as a great prophet, proclaims what the Lord says, whether people like it or not, whether it's good news or bad, that's the job of a prophet. Now, Eli, he hears this from Samuel, but let's remember, this is not the first time Eli's heard this either. Here we see perhaps the grace of God 
as Samuel may have been very concerned, in fact, it says it was afraid of telling Eli this news. You see the grace of God in telling Eli again, announcing the judgment again to Eli. Already sent one prophet, now sending a boy prophet to tell you, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this because of your sins, because of the sins of your sons. This is going to happen. What is the Lord doing? He's calling Eli to repentance for it. And what does Eli do? We see the repentance. We see it. And so for as much as we say as, you know, the sins of the house of Eli, he turns to the Lord and look at this statement of trust. He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. In this time of the judges, when everyone did what they saw fit, what does Eli confess? The Lord is good. Let him do what is good in his eyes. Complete trust, recognizing, I know what that also means for my life. It's the kind of trust that we ask God to give us, that we go to his word, we listen to what he proclaims. And while he may not proclaim about specific kind of things, he may not, he does not promise he's going to tell us about what's going to happen to our families or our jobs or our own lives. He does not promise he's going to tell us that. But he, what he does promise is that he does what is good in his eyes. He is the Lord. The Lord the God who keeps his covenant, his covenant of faithful love and promise. May that be our confession of faith as we maybe recognize that this chapter, we think about it so much of the call of Samuel, but maybe a big takeaway is guided by the words of Eli. A man who is a sinner, scripture makes that clear, an inconsistent child of God, like we all are. But through Eli, his servant, God speaks his word, his word that he's recorded now, this is from God, that can guide us for our life. To first speak, Lord, for your servants, let's listen to what he says to us. And then hearing what he says to us. Because remember, Eli had said that to Samuel. Listen to what he says. And then now hearing what he says, he is the Lord, the gracious God. Let him do what is good in his eyes. Questions or comments here? We've got a little bit left in the chapter. Verse 19, the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up. And he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh. And there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And so we see here that this is really the beginning of Samuel's service as a prophet. And what does God do? The Lord was with Samuel. 
These last verses could easily just be kind of, okay, we need to bring this all to a close, this chapter. But there's some important, comforting truths here. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up. God remained with him. His presence with him. Growing him. Let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. Saying that as Samuel carried out this ministry, as he proclaimed what the Lord said, the Lord kept his word. His words did not fall to the ground. They did not fail. Nothing fell through. No, when Samuel proclaimed what God told him, it happened because it was God's word. All Israel and Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as the prophet of the Lord. Dan to Beersheba, this is a phrase to essentially highlight all of Israel. Dan is up in the north. Um, they're up in the north because they just took, just took land for themselves, not part of the tribe. Uh, part of the tribe areas designated for them. We saw that in End of Judges. Dan's up in the north, Beersheba's down in the south. So essentially saying from north to south, all recognized. That's unique. That's unique as we see this transition now. A transition that Samuel's going to bridge into a king because the judges, we saw most of the time, they were geographical. They had smaller regions that they were serving in. Samuel is a prophet for all of Israel. He's not also just a prophet that comes occasionally, not like the unnamed prophet in chapter 2 that God gives a one-time kind of role. No, this is continued service by Samuel. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh. That's where the tabernacle is. And they're revealed to Samuel through his word. And so now this transitioning as Samuel is now going to be completely carrying out this ministry prophet. He carries this out really now through the rest of the book is what we're going to see. And it's going to be covering through with the kings, King Saul and then to King David. And those themes that we just saw here, not just, okay, how it all starts, but really is the tone. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. Samuel carries that into his ministry. Eli's influence has rubbed off in a positive way on Samuel. Next time we get to 1 Samuel chapter 4, and maybe just one transition there, this statement of verse 1, kind of give you a, a tease for what's coming next. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. Put that there because what did we see at the beginning of 1 Samuel 3? The word of the Lord was rare. God is bringing his word now in a special way through a prophet. Questions or comments? 1 Samuel chapter 3. The call of Samuel. The words of Eli. All right, we will pick it up then with 1 Samuel chapter 4 next time. We will see, start to see some of these prophecies that God has made of judgment against the house of Eli coming true. Let us close with prayer. Speak, Lord, for we, your servants, are listening. 
Show us the promises you have given us in your word. Promises of which to do us good. Give us ears that are attentive to what you proclaim and hearts that fully trust no matter what you proclaim to us that we may live out our days serving you as you have called us. Proclaiming your word, proclaiming your love. In your name we pray. Amen.